0: This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connection to land, waters, and culture. Colonization and genocide are ongoing processes that continue to this day. Sovereignty was never ceded. This always was and always will be unceded indigenous land.
1: You'll now hear a brief advertisement. This advertisement has passed OzPol SnackPod's rigorous requirements for ethical paid promotion the following political candidate is fully endorsed by the Snackpod Boys for political office.
2: Every three months a person is torn to pieces by a crocodile in far north Queensland. But did you know dingo near people also a problem? Researchers at CQU are leading the way with groundbreaking new research. Using wacky whaley inflatable tube guys, they have proven that dingoes in captivity do not like wacky whaley inflatable tube guys. The application of this technology is extensive, with everything from wacky-whaley inflatable tube guys near bins to wacky-whaley inflatable tube guys in other places. The unpredictable movement, colour and noise are a proven innovative means to creating an unwelcoming and inhospitable living environment. For only $1.5 million, the Queensland State Government could purchase 3,000 wacky-whaley inflatable tube guys with an aggressive 950-watt motor that could blow at all hours to fix the problem once and for all of dingoes near people. This state election, refrain from voting flib, abstain from the flab, vote one 3,000 wacky wailing inflatable tube guys.
0: Hey, (laughs) welcome back to OzPol (laughs) SnackPod, the podcast where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies serve you up bite-sized chunks of Australian news and politics. With a side of crispy memes, we are also the official podcast of the OzPol Posting Facebook group. My name is Zach Snack, and with me, as always, is friend, confidant, and member of my inner sanctum.
1: Hey, I'm Noon. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Thanks for coming along today, Zach. It's always nice to do this.
0: My pleasure. And what a pleasure to start the show with uh, potluck from another of our confidants, uh, Coot, with that amazing political ad. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is the kind of policy development and political leadership and foresight that Australia is really missing.
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad that we can just be the flagship for that debate here on this show. Absolutely. Uh, also, up top, we want to thank several new patrons that we got this week. Yeah, holy thank shit. Thank you so it's much to... such a big
1: patron week. It's amazing.
0: Yeah. Um, the last couple of weeks have been enormous. So thank you so much for all your support, especially to our new patrons, Claire, Captain Snooze, Rob's H, C, Sean, <laughs> shadowy financier, Shannon. And uh, with these new additions, we have now finally smashed past our goal of 75 patrons, which means something very special, Noon.
1: Yeah, that's right. I have bought... Uh, a copy of the book uh, written by the Honourable Stuart Roberts MP, Member member for Human Services, is that what he does? Um, Called In the Footsteps of Jesus, uh, which I've started reading. uh, And we're going to do a bonus episode about it, because as Zach says, I've been desperately looking for any excuse to get Bible content on the podcast. And so, yeah, this is that excuse. So, yeah, I've started reading it. It's absolutely awful. It's self-published and really badly edited. Stuart, if you're listening, I'll edit your next book for you, bro. Just, just please don't do it yourself.
0: That's just the kind of generous spirit that we have here at Ospol mm-hmm. But We're happy mm-hmm. to, you know, ha- help our enemies out for the sake of raising the tone of the debate. Exactly. Um, speaking of raising the tone of the debate, uh, mm. <laughs> this, well, it's, it's kind of when, when you have to have the them in, by the end of next week, I think it's yeah. the Victorian local elections. Um, uh, the uh, are underway at the moment. people have received their postal ballots in the mail big fat stack of materials about each of the candidates um and yeah i think I think they need to the votes need to be in by the end of next week for memory. The other election that 's underway is the queensland state election. We might talk about that next week um vote one but white this week we thought Blum, tube guys yes <laughs> uh, make sure to vote one um but uh yeah, we thought it'd be funny just to have a little bit of a chat about um what's been going on, uh, in our little local areas down here, because there's yeah. nothing quite like a local election, you know, in terms of the political tone.
1: Totally. It's kind of hard to cover as a story really, because like, I'm sure there'll be some embarrassing candidates or whatever, but like on the whole, um, it's, you know, very localized and like, I live in Footscray and Zach lives in North Melbourne. And so we're going to have like 15 candidates each that most of our listeners will never have to think about or won't have a chance to vote for so like yeah i don't think we want to do like some super deep analysis here but i thought no. yeah it might be nice to chat about council and the the sort of people who are competing
0: it's always very fun like the kind of people that sign themselves up as candidates for local elections you just get a, a, an extremely colorful array of funny characters um so <laughs> i thought it'd be funny to touch on a few of those. Um, totally. Noon, you had uh, one that you were telling me about earlier.
1: Yeah, so there's this guy who I feel has big Noon energy, uh, a guy called Cameron Bolton. Um, and I say he has big Noon energy because the photo of it, uh, that he supplied is him with a very scraggly, pure beard, which is really <laughs> the style I've been rocking in lockdown. Um, but it just, it like, it reminded me of when I was thinking about running for office at local, state, and federal elections, like, five, six years ago. This is exactly what my... Submission would have been. Um, But yeah, he starts off having just recently settled in Westfoot's Gray, I would bring to Maribyrnong an interest in all ideas, an open mind, and the ability to empathize with a wide variety of individual situations. And then goes on to talk about how he has no experience doing anything. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Perfect. That's exactly the. the, the,
0: Exactly. That's. Oh, boy. That just. That that really sums it up, doesn't it? Um, I spent a solid like two to three hours flicking through all of the campaign materials because ba- basically we've got a booklet that has the the sort of like policy statements from each of the candidates for councillor and each of the candidates for mayor and uh they're both quite fat booklets i don't for you i don't know how fat they are for you noon but over i don't here, think we get a separate in, um, mayoral in vote
1: in mine. i'm not sure about that maybe i've just misread oh, but yeah i thought the mayor um, was elected by the councillors Maybe it's different different wards, uh, whatever.
0: Yeah the 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 rules are different all over. Sure. Um, and yeah, we we actually we discussed in in much mm. more detail uh, the new system that has come in come into effect as of May this year in Victoria, which is the single member wards, which are going to be in many more um, uh, local government districts. Um, which was brought in by corrupt labor fuck knuckle Adam Somurek. Yeah. And those are changes which uh, have been shown to produce much more conservative results in local mm. elections. Mm. If you want to hear more about that, you should listen to our episode, Single Member Gourds, which I think was episode 53, where we do a bit of a deep dive on the effect of that legislation. Yeah, I'll pop a link in the show notes there so you can find that. We will. Um, but so I'm not feeling super optimistic about the outcome of these elections necessarily, but reading through all the candidate materials was hilarious. Getting Mm. all of the, um, material in the mail, like from locals trying to get my vote has been funny. I got this one, uh, that just, that is from a party called Innovate Melbourne, Start Up the City. It opens with, hi, we're Andrew and John, and you're reading this personally delivered 80 GSM black and white print because we're (laughs) fiercely independent. Um which immediately they went to the bottom of my list for listing the paper stock on yeah. their election materials. Shut up, the two of you. And then I looked at Now, their, you'll notice you know, we're
1: using a Helvetica 13 point because it's a little edgy. <laughs> than a 12 like point. Which just
0: tasteful like that. <laughs> um, yeah, but like, you know, I was looking at, you know, reading the rest of their flyer and reading their like campaigning statement in the booklet, being like, what the fuck are these guys actually, yeah. you know, into? Clearly they like startups. Yeah. Um, but the, it was very informative to look at their how-to-vote instructions, yeah. and they'd put the Victorian socialists dead last, and I was like, hmm, okay. You guys clearly suck.
1: <laughs> well, this has been a recurring theme. We've got a lot of posts in posting shitposting uh, about local council because the information available is so limited and so... Um supplied by the candidates so yes like, I, I i mentioned this in the group but i used to work for a small non-profit that did like um city planning urban planning and development stuff and mm. one of the only tasks that my boss ever actually gave me at that job was to do a survey of all of the local councilors this must have been like what 2012 2014 uh whatever Yeah, um and uh it was extremely fucking difficult i had to like Look up all of the people's names, and then mm. they didn't have contact details. So I'd look up their businesses, and then I'd call their boss and be like, "Hey, could you give me an email address to contact this guy? We need to ask him about council." <laughs> and then I had to contact them and be like, "So what do you think about jobs or whatever?" You know, yeah, uh, it's really fucking hard. And one of the issues is that Labor and Liberal both basically deserted local council elections sometime in the last decade or so uh, because it's like expensive and logistically difficult, and you always end up endorsing people who end up being like criminals or whatever. Mm. Um, and they don't really have that much power. So, yeah, they basically just kind of stopped running official candidates. Um, and Labour has actually now started officially endorsing people again. Um, yeah. But yeah, when you're looking basically at Basically your... because they
0: felt like they were losing political ground to the Greens, to the Greens. who have done yeah. really great work um, building in grassroots support in, at a local level. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, but Anyway, just a warning for
1: you, listeners, if you're trying to figure out who your, your candidates are. If they say they're independent, they may well be Liberal Party members. So check Yes,
0: out. that's entirely possible. Um and like the other th- great thing about local council elections is it clearly like the barrier for entry is lower. Right, yes. So you yeah, get yeah. more kooks, um, but you also get people who have clearly completed only like 60 to 70% of the process for applying to become a candidate. My right. booklet has a number of people that has j- just like, or even just like a party name and two photos and then no, <laughs> no other info. information, That's very no funny. statement. Um, Team Melbourne gets it done is one of those parties. Um, they apparently didn't manage to get all of it done. The yeah. other party in there that has a great name <laughs> is um, It Will All Be Okay. Huh. And uh after reading I'm really over good their... past that, can you? <laughs> no, well I read over their campaign statement and it was just like basically everything will be okay you know you just uh, feel optimistic we feel optimistic vote for us feel good it'll be uh, totally fine I feel like fine. they really captured the zeitgeist there
1: <laughs> I feel like everyone's <laughs> right. optimistic right now that's every... that's where everyone's at Yeah,
0: But those um like low level independent candidates who have no information are actually kind of the outlier I find mm. that I was reading through this booklet, and basically, like, the more politically incumbent a candidate is, the more vague their promises are, mm. essentially. So if you read, like, most of the independent candidates are literally somebody being like, I live in Docklands in an apartment building on level 47, and my main issue this election is cladding on apartment buildings. Vote yep. for me if you don't want bad cladding. And then you go up to, like, the person who's the, like, currently mayor label of Melbourne. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like... We believe in preparing for the future. We believe in things that all Melburnians love, and it's just like, yep. it, um, which was yeah, quite hilarious. It's very funny to me. Um, one thing that I think might also be worth
1: mentioning that might actually be like useful info for our listeners is about Victorian socialists, uh, and we could probably do a whole fucking mains on this. But like, um, they're an interesting party, and I just wanted to give like a little two-minute brief on them, if that's okay. Please do uh yeah so victorian socialists were formed a few years ago and they were formed mainly out of three parties which were the socialist alternative salt socialist alliance sally's and the socialist party sp um and the and and a few other independents and they ran together at the last victorian state election i'm pretty sure uh you may recall that Stephen jolly was there he was a i think he was the mayor of Richmond, he was a, he was a local councillor yeah. in Richmond, um, mm. and then kind of was the lead candidate for the Victorian Socialists
0: re- at the federal election. Yeah, I
1: oh, was at the federal. Sorry, not state. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it turned out that he was a sex pest, basically, and um, that caused a bunch of ructions within the the party, and like he eventually got kicked out. But after they had already lost all of their like support from people who don't like sex pests, um. And then over the last couple of years, Victorian Socialists has kind of fallen apart, So now, uh, and Socialist Alternative has kind of had a soft coup. So now Socialist Alliance has left, Socialist Party has basically collapsed, and so it's now 90% SALT with a few principled independents like Sue Bolton, for example, who I'm pretty sure is running in Morland. So yeah, we don't really have time to get into the ins and outs and the pros and cons of SALT. Someone actually messaged the page the other day being like, hey... People in the group seem not to like salt. Why is that? Um, and so we had a bit of a chat about that. But anyway, yeah. So I really don't know how to feel about them. I think they're probably still better than Labour uh, is my feel.
0: Yeah. And, like, I mean, if you read their platform, like, they definitely have much that, like, they have the most progressive policy agenda of anybody on the on on the docket, at least in yeah. Melbourne. But they're also
1: um, potentially, like, a brainwashing cult of uh, misogynist. Sex offenders. <laughs> I yes, mean, not all yeah. of them. I'm AKA not trying to a political a, the, party. A political party. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I feel very conflicted about that, but I'll probably end up voting them reasonably high. So,
0: yeah, it's always a tough decision trying to support any political party because they're all full True. of um, complete pieces of shit. Yeah. Even speaking if you agree which, with what they say, they believe in.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, speaking of full of shit, why don't we move on to shit post of the week? Of the week. Uh, and this was a beautiful layup assist of an IRL shitpost. Um, this, this, uh, the layup goes to Thomas Balchfrod, um, who shared this <laughs> uh, these photos in the shit shitposting Facebook group. So good work, Thomas. Um, and they posted a photo of these flyers. Um, and the flyers are from... They say, Hello, my name is Madeline. And then in inverted commas, Quote... I'm not running in the 2020 council election, but I have some great ideas. Um, <laughs> and Yeah, there's these amazing uh, flyers that Madeline Tucker handed out around Brunswick, um, uh, along with her, quote, friend and non-campaign manager, Danny Sisko. Um, yeah, so they uh, had a whole lot of uh, excellent ideas. For example, turning Pentridge Prison into an animatronics attraction, building a chairlift for local Everest, Lobs Hill... And turning every number nineteen tram into a restaurant tram and a celebrity wax museum. So yeah, sounds great. And it's just amazing photos. <laughs> Madeline seems like awesome. Apparently, she used to live with Claire of the Elementary Springfield podcast, which I've just been listening to. And you also, oh, should, there you go, listeners. Yeah. So th- this is a beautiful IRL shit post. High effort local council memes.
0: That's very boot. It's a very boutique shit post.
1: Yeah. The bisexual like flyer coloring. Yeah. Uh, so we, I mean, we can't jacket. say
0: vote one, Madeline, but we can say good job.
1: Yeah. Agreed.
0: Uh, thank you very much, Thomas, for the layup assist on that one as well. Uh, and probably now time to move on. Positivity Corner. Um, So this week I wanted to draw attention to um, a, a fundraiser that was set up by uh, social worker and prison abolitionist, uh, with gory, uh, who along with a bunch of other people set up this fundraiser for, uh, incarcerated trans and gender diverse people. So from the copy on the website, they say, this is a national fund to provide financial and material support to trans and gender diverse people who are incarcerated. This fund aims to provide support for trans people in prison and those post release returning to their communities. Cool. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So, stuff that they're supplying for people inside include uh, gender affirming clothing and underwear, um, things like binders, as well as uh, reading materials and postage costs, um, which is important because um, uh, as uh, well, I was reading through Gory's Twitter feed and they uh, was people were asking, "Hey, I don't have very much money. How can I support uh, you know trans people in prison?" Sure. And they said that a really good thing to look into is joining letter writing groups or mm. pen pal programs. They say, quote, letter writing is one way to, su- to provide support and help break isolation for those inside. Um, so obviously, you know, having money to send and receive letters is uh, very important. Uh, and the, the kind of thing that the fundraiser will provide uh, post-release for people will be for stuff like legal fees as well as your everyday stuff like bond and rent, groceries, cool. shit that's really hard to afford day-to-day when you're just out of prison and uh, obviously yeah, being um, uh, formally incarcerated makes it makes much it harder, harder to get, to get a, a job. A job and, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so this fundraiser had been up for only two days and the response was so big that they increased their initial goal up to $30,000 and had hit that after less than a week. Wow. And it's just really nice to see uh, the community pulling together behind an initiative like this hmm. for people who can really use it. Um, yeah. And so we'll, we'll put a, a link to the fundraiser in the show notes if you want to donate because it's still open for donations and I'm sure that they can always use more.
1: Yeah, I'm keen to try it that Letter writing stuff. I did a little bit of present letter writing ages ago when I was doing enviro activism all the time. Um, but mm. I, I always meant to do it again of my own accord. So yeah,
0: yeah. It sounds like a great way to Maybe support people. This will who, be the opportunity. Um, yeah, just uh, need a little bit of human contact to get through the day.
1: Okay. Well, now we're going to move on to our First Nation story. And um, Zach, I know you're going to love this one because it involves your number one favorite philanthropist, Twiggy Forest. Um
0: He's such a cool guy. Such yeah. a generous such a generous guy. Sharing historians.
1: His really is all about his generosity. Um so Fortescue Metals is blackmailing the Eastern Gorum of people who are in the Pilbara region in northeastern uh, sorry, northwestern Australia. Uh Fortescue owes them one point nine million dollars in royalties in exchange for, you know, pillaging their land. Uh, and that money was due to be paid on January thirty first this year. But the mm. Winterwari Guruma Aboriginal Corporation says that Fortescue told them that they wouldn't get the money le- until they sign off on nine new mining leases. Uh, and these hell. N- new leases cover areas with these important sacred sites. And the corporation has been asking, like, how will Fortescue manage these? They've also been asking issues about other um, leases that they've signed before that included stuff about, like, not destroying sacred sites and, like, that they would be notified when um, work began in that area, and then they discovered years later that they hadn't been informed when work started there. So So here's a quote from the uh, uh, Winterwari Guruma Aboriginal Corporation member, Tony Bevan, who says, "'These were nine mining leases we were asked to sign about a year ago. Under the access agreement, they're meant to have given us notice of these mining leases and come and discuss them with us. Five of those mines we knew nothing about, and there are a number of very significant sites and areas in these mining leases.'" And the Aboriginal Corporation has issued six notices of breach of license in the past 12 months, you know, including in the six months of coronavirus lockdown where no one's supposed to be doing fucking shit. So the Aboriginal Corporation has now stopped issuing dispute notices, quote, because there's no point. Um, Under its agreement Mm -hmm. with Fortescue Metals, there's no penalty to Fortescue for non-compliance. And um, I just want to finish up with another quote from Tony Bevan. They go nowhere. There's no power or disciplinary action. It escalates to the CEO and stops. There are no penalties for non-compliance, so the breaches continue. Fortescue Metals Group are currently doing what they like on Eastern Guruma Country and paying nothing for it. So corked. It's just fucking disgusting. And like the... Like literal overt blackmail of refusing to pay out royalties already owed unless they agree to open up nine new sites it's it's just fucking disgusting
0: it, it's just absolutely filthy and we, we've described mining and the, the mining industry on this show before as basically the sort of front line of mm. colonial violence in contemporary australia yeah i think I mean, even in just the most literal sense, like they're literally yanking wealth out of the land and yes. stealing it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and but I mean, also you've got the literal kind of destruction of sacred land as mm. well, as you've described here. Um, but I think, I mean, it's something that we didn't really discuss last week. We were talking about the budget and about how it's kind of uh, potentially problematic to talk about the way that the, bu- the the government is sort of distributing wealth amongst the population because all of that wealth is sort of built on the back of colonization and yeah. dispossession of indigenous people. Um, one of the things that I occasionally sort of think about is when we talk about uh, if, if we wanted to, we could lift everybody in Australia out of poverty, mm. basically overnight, if we redistributed the wealth that we already have. Um, but, you know, a lot of that wealth that currently comes into, you know, the, like the, that is currently coming into Australia yeah. is from the mining industry. Um, And I think that probably down the track, that's something that like a broader progressive movement and an environmental movement as well is going to have to grapple with. That if we're talking about, you know, like if you're talking about, oh, we can fund everything we need if we just tax mining companies more. Well, Mm, you've still mm. got the problem of them literally stealing that wealth and destroying indigenous land in order to make that money. Yeah. Do we actually want to rely on that in order to create a, a, a more just economic situation mm. at the expense of the rights of first nations people um that was just something i've been sort of yeah mulling over uh, over the past week and no, i think that's a really good point. To focus for me
1: and i think the other thing that i want to draw the connection here with which i don't think will be like surprising or news to anyone listening but like the destruction of Jukan Gorge got so much attention, and rightly so because it was horrifying. But it was really just like the literal tip of the iceberg. Like, yeah. there, this same stuff is still going on. It's not it's every day that that yeah. was not unusual. That was not an unusual no. event. It was a no. slightly louder event than usual, um, yeah. or they got in slightly more trouble about it than usual. But like, it's literally business as usual. It's the it's the foundation of all of these companies. So,
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. All right. Should we move on? We shall.
0: It was the best of takes. It was the blurst of takes. You stupid monkey! I feel like we haven't had a blurst take in a little in a couple of weeks. Yeah, we haven't heard that sting in a minute. Hmm. Um, one of our one of the originals and the best. Um, this week, as with many weeks, uh, this <laughs> the blurst take is from our our Prime Minister Scott Morrison. This week, he said at a press conference in Queensland that. Fly in, fly out. Mining workers who earn $180,000 a year are not rich. Specifically, he was defending the coalition's tax cuts, which, as we know, are disproportionately going to very high income earners. He said, quote, I don't think they should be penalized and treated like they're some merchant banker in Sydney. They're not. They're hardworking people working out on mines in difficult parts of the country. I think they deserve a tax cut. Um, Which is an obviously... Ridiculous position to take. Earning yeah. one hundred and eighty thousand dollars a year puts you in the top four percent of incomes in Australia. Uh-huh. That's over triple the median wage in this country. Um, and I, I've seen it argued around the place, you know, in in news articles. And mm. um, uh, I was about shit posting. And, and on social media, as you say, um, that it's not that much money if you consider that many fly-in fly-out workers are the sole source of income for their family. And if you're supporting a partner and two kids and trying to pay off a mortgage with that income, that it's not rich. Well, the median household income in Australia is just under $90,000. So even by that measure, you're doing extremely well.
1: Yeah, there's been Um, a lot of discussion about what constitutes a need versus a want, or like, what does it mean to be rich? And people are being like, oh, yeah, but people on 180K can't buy literally everything that they want whenever they want it. It's like, yeah, that doesn't mm. mean... That is not the definition of rich, though. Right,
0: and that's what this, ultimately, this is a conversation about, right? It's about how do we define rich, how do we define wealthy? Um, There's also an issue about,
1: like... If you buy a house on a mortgage, does that mean you're not rich because you're in debt? Like, I don't know. I, like,
0: no, I I'm investing know. my income. That's not wealth. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think you make a good point. This is very important ideological mm. groundwork for the coalition mm, to be laying. True. Because they need to define the threshold at which you're considered wealthy as high as possible. Mm. They need to say that $180,000 a year isn't rich because if they do, you know, then, then they can see that their tax cuts and their other policies aren't very obviously just benefiting rich people. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at the same, uh, like, at the same time, th- th- this is very much him playing to his base. I mean, he was literally at, in, in Queensland saying, I support miners and fuck the bankers in Sydney. I mean, that's about as, like, stump speech as you can get. Well, the other um, thing
1: is that, like, there's no chance that the bankers in Sydney aren't going to vote for him. Whereas, like, these right. laborers might vote for the Labor Party.
0: Right, totally. Um, and yeah, I mean, the sort of fucked up thing about this discourse, I think, is that it just it, it the way that it collapses the this conversation about what is poverty and what is being rich at this ridiculous point where it actually it's it's totally abstract. You know, maybe you don't feel well off at $180,000 a year if you are supporting a family of, of a single income, but like, you know, imagine what a family who's on, whose combined income is the median household income, like goes through. Mm, if you think mm. that you're struggling at $180,000 a year, you know, people, a household earning less than half of that between two people, think about what, you know, they need to go through on a day-to-day basis. But- even beyond that, I mean, that's the medium. But this completely cuts out from the conversation people who are living in actual, like, technically defined poverty, people who are on job seeker and other government payments. Mm. You know, mm. but you know, it's very useful for the government if you define everybody making under a hundred, under you know, two hundred thousand dollars a year as not well off. Suddenly, your economic policies that help people making over a hundred thousand dollars can be considering can be considered to be helping everyday people. But anyway, I was thinking that um, you know, if one hundred eighty thousand dollars is now considered not rich, if that's struggling, the government is probably going to need to invent a couple of new levels of uh, poverty to describe people on lower incomes. Uh, so we drew up a list of a few suggestions for the government. Got a little list here, Noon. You want to start, start me off with the top one? Yeah,
1: three hundred k per year, making ends meet.
0: If you're making uh, $250,000 a year, that makes you a mum and dad investor. $200,000, uh,
1: that's a green voter, a.k.a. a tree Tory.
0: Uh, hundred eighty thousand dollars a year, as we've described, is struggling.
1: Then on one hundred and fifty k, that makes you a a true Aussie battler.
0: Yep, hundred thousand yep. dollars a year—that's poor plus. Uh,
1: and then fifty thousand a year—that's just uh, vanilla poor. That's just the median income. No one cares about them.
0: Yeah, re- yeah, exactly. Vanilla poor. Uh, twenty five k a year. Uh, Greens voter, aka socialist communist radicals.
1: <laughs> yeah, and then fourteen thousand seven hundred and eight dollars a year. That's livable, uh, and that's the current job seeker rate without the corona supplement. So, yep,
0: aka yeah. terrible take, Scott Morrison.
1: Yeah. So, uh, listeners, feel free to use this uh, new income bracket scale to help uh, figure out where you sit in the uh, the strata of poor Australians. So.
0: Yeah, is your income livable, or are you struggling on one hundred and eighty k?
1: Okay, let's move on to our next segment. Hot luck. Where you bring the snacks. and this one comes from our listener Sarah, who um, heard us discussing last week in the budget the issue of um, uh, women are people and people use roads. Um, so I'll let I'll let Sarah. Therefore, the budget is away. good for women. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Hey, snackers. I wanted to add a little side note to the government's theory defense that funding and building a road will benefit women, as women are people and people use roads. Um, Based on the data that we've got, which, to be fair, isn't consistently from every country and isn't always sex disaggregated, but based on the data that we have, women are actually much more likely than men to walk or to take public transport. This is to the point where in France, two-thirds of public transport passengers are women. um, And generally around the world, men are much more likely to drive. And if a household owns a car, it actually tends to be the men who dominate access to it. So saying that building and funding a road will benefit women is just not true. It's probably more likely to disproportionately benefit men. Um, If anyone is interested in finding out a little bit more about data bias and how it affects women, there's a fascinating book called Invisible Women, Exposing Data Bias in a World Designed for Men by Carolyn Credo Perez, which I would highly recommend you check out if you're interested. Keep snacking in the free world.
1: Thanks, Sarah. That was great. Um, And that book, Invisible Women, that Sarah mentioned, um, also goes into the statistics or the lack of statistics about non-binary people and how that affects um, data as well. So, yeah, if you're interested in that kind of thing, go check us out. Uh, Go check us out. No, go check out that book, uh, Invisible Women. Um, I just wanted to mention as well, last week I was like uh there's not many podcasts like that that have majority women and a large non-binary listenership uh which is probably not true what i actually specifically meant was there's not many podcasts that are basically two straight cis men talking for an hour that have that kind of listener breakdown so yeah anyway that i don't think that's a very important clarification but i just wanted to make it anyway so
0: you do you bud thanks uh I think that, it, yeah, that was a fantastic potluck. Like, just that the exact same thing that makes all of the other measures yes. that the government put into the budget extremely gender biased is also, like, would also fuck up their theoretical thing that it's actually good for women is just very funny to me. Yeah. There's a certain, um, yeah, there's a certain rhetorical, like, aesthetic perfection to that argument that um, I think Sarah knocked it out of the park. Hell yeah. An excellent potluck. And, and
1: this makes now four potlucks in a row that have been within the one-minute requirement. Oh, so good good job, oh, team. Good job, oh, listeners. It's what we want. We love it. What what we don't love is cups.
0: AC? AB? ACAB? That's right, Noon. Uh, this week in ACAB News... Students at the University of Sydney have been protesting the government's proposed funding changes to uni education. So, you know, we talked about it briefly, but, you know, basically the long and short of it is they're making humanities degrees and stuff that they consider not particularly useful for getting a job is going to become way more expensive. But those changes also mean a $900 million funding cut to the sector. So on Wednesday this week, uh, a student protest against the cuts was uh, brutally shut down by New South Wales police. The event actually started as a teach-out, which is organized by the National Tertiary Education Union. So it's basically like a form of uh, teacher strike that is conducted like as a class outside of the classroom. Cool. Um, And under the university's public health orders, uh, a teach-out is considered basically an ordinary teaching event. It's totally allowed. Mm -hmm. Uh, A protest, however, is like technically not allowed to have more than 19 people. I think it is. At the moment, uh, Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Um, but so, uh, the teach out kind of happened without too much incident. Uh, but once it finished, students attempted to occupy the streets next to the campus and were met by riot cops. And then the cops do what they do best. Students were forced off the road. They were pushed to the ground, dragged along, lots of them getting grazed and bruised up by the cops, heaps of footage going around of just totally unprovoked aggression from the Mm. police, violently shoving people into the footpath for absolutely no reason. Um, one piece of video that's been going around is of cops harassing a law professor called Simon Rice, who was there to observe the event and get him just getting like roughly shoved to the ground by four cops. He was fined along with about 10 other students. Uh, this is according to the University of Sydney student paper, Oniswa. Am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, I think most people use a hard H, but yes.
0: Honiswa. There you
1: mm. go. Honiswa um, Kimeli Pence.
0: One in Sydney. Um, the cops say that they were invited onto campus by the uni management. This is something that the university management has denied, though. So I mean, who who, who are you going to believe—the the capitalists or the thugs? It's <laughs> it's, it's a really it's, it's, it's a pretty tough rough. decision. <laughs> yeah. Um, But look, I mean, this is just another example of what we've seen over and over again under public health orders, under corona. When a public health response is enforced by cops, they will use it as an excuse to shut down whatever the fuck they like. This is just flagrant, violent repression of a protest, cut and dried. There's no other mitigating factor about this. It's also like, it's not
1: even a anti-cop thing like that's something that we've touched on a bunch about why the cops have been so vicious to like anti-lockdown protesters even though they're basically yeah. conservatives mostly is that they're challenging police power this isn't that this is just like a regular event and the cops like oh fuck yeah time to beat up some hippies
0: well that's it i mean universities are hotbeds of protest radical economics
1: you know, students
0: exactly and i saw someone tweet the other day uh, which i thought was interesting in response to this that like student activists and even teachers sort of come and go from institutions, but mm. cops at the local area command under whose supervision the uni falls are there for decades. They start to see the university as this basically institution that produces people who give cops a hard time and right. are making trouble. So they, they, like, they, they're frothing at the fucking mouth at this opportunity to go and put down a protest. Now they've got the excuse to do it even more violently than usual yep. with total impunity. Um, and so even, you know, despite all this police put down, the students have said that they're going to keep protesting these bullshit cusses. I've got a quote here from the SRC president, Liam Donahue, who told Honiswa, proud to see another militant action today from students who are sick of sitting back passively while Morrison and management destroy their education will escalate until we build a better education system. Hell yeah. Solidarity to those protesters. Uh, And while we're on the subject, I also wanted to mention briefly another protest that was violently put down by New South Wales police this week, which which was a protest against Mark Latham's anti-trans bill, which is currently before the New South Wales parliament. Um, We might need to go into a bit more detail about that bill and what it's suggesting another time. Yep. Um, but again, on the pretext of public health orders, cops violently broke up this protest causing several injuries, giving out fines. Uh, they made one arrest. I think, you know, again, this is, these public health orders are basically carte blanche for the the cops to violently break up whatever protest they feel like. Um, and just before we get off the subject, I wanted to give a shout out to the, to students. And I think it was at the university of Queensland, who chased Scott Morrison off their campus. Nice. uh, Like yelling at him to free asylum seekers. I think they threw some red paint on his car. uh, And yeah, there's this great footage of him just being like chased into a waiting cop car and bundled (laughs) inside while um, these kids run after him being like, face your people, you coward. Uh, Solidarity to those protesters.
1: All right. Well, let's get out of the frying pan into the fire with, fashy australia
0: fashy australia they're definitely they're adjacent segments you know they are yeah could, i mean it, it's yeah. really
1: fashy australia and then like cop fashy australia uh, yeah i mean that's that's kind of why we got the new sting was that we were talking about cops a bunch and then there was other fashy mm. shit as well anyway this True. one is um is both regular like modern fascism with a just Sprinkling of nineteen thirties Nazi <laughs> Germany style uh, racism, fascism. The, so the
0: classic OG fascism,
1: and some nineteen fifties Americana fascism. They've, they've they've got all sorts. Uh, so this is Erica, Erica Betz. Betts. Uh, he's a Tasmanian senator. I'm pretty sure is that right? Yeah. Yes. Um, and uh, he pulled some seriously fucked shit in Parliament this week. So he he uh, is the chair of a uh, committee, a uh, Senate committee inquiry into, quote, issues facing diaspora communities in Australia. Cool. Seems like a good thing for a, a Senate committee to, to deal with. And what did mm-hmm. he do in this committee but grill three ethnically Chinese researchers on their ties to the Chinese Communist Party? I bet that'll help diaspora communities in Australia. Um, like, it's fucked. It's obviously fucked. He's such a piece of shit. It's just like blatant, like, regular level one racism is like, oh person of a particular ethnic background i assume that they fully endorse the actions of everyone else of that ethnic group i don't know it's ridiculous anyway
0: but but seems like a he, dangerous road for erica best
1: <laughs> yes that's right and it's he does down. address this i've I got a bunch of quotes because it's just amazing how much of a shitlord he is um i'll try and go through them pretty quickly so it it, it was also ridiculous because the witnesses were all clearly not pro chinese communist party one of them was like they are the biggest human rights abusers in the world, uh, and then others were ma- the others were making like really nuanced points about like the relationship between ethnically Chinese people in Australia. So uh, here's a quote: Some have expressed they don't want to express their views in public because they're concerned their views will be twisted or worse. That is the suggestion that they have links and connections with the Chinese Communist Party without clear evidence and being judged purely based on appearance. And so, of course, that's exactly what, uh, exactly what Erica Betts did. does. Yeah. Yep. Um And. But he doesn't get there straight away. He detours through another extraordinarily racist argument, and then at the last minute, just does a sharp left turn to like ultra racism. So here's a couple of his like normal, int- like mid tier racist- racism that he was doing in the in this uh, committee. You seem to believe that Australian politics is too white. I just want to ask you. That- Remember, this is a white senator grilling some young Chinese researchers. You seem to believe that Australian politics is too white. I just want to ask you whether or not you believe in the quote from Martin Luther King that people should not be judged by the colour of their skin but by the content of their character. Um, And a follow-up along exactly the same line. Can I simply say that if we're talking about certain diaspora populations being underrepresented, if that were to be the criterion, then I, being an immigrant from a non-English speaking background representing the state of Tasmania, am overrepresenting that cohort of Tasmanians. There are other factors a lot more important to be considered than skin color and ethnic origin. I would suggest to you. Can, uh, and then he. the next sentence is, can I ask each of the three witnesses to very briefly tell me whether they are willing to unconditionally condemn the Chinese Communist Party dictatorship? It's not a difficult question. <laughs> and so it comes oh so wildly out of left field, even from the barely coherent racist rant that he's already doing about how reverse racism is actually real and actually Germans and to migrants too. And then, by the way, are you also a communist? Um And I'm sorry to keep reading quotes, but I just feel it's really... Please. Yeah, do you want to maybe do this little script? Do you want to be Mr. Chu or Senator Abetzek? Uh,
0: You can take Eric.
1: Okay, cool. Um, All
0: right, as I said previously, I support and believe in the universality of human rights. I don't support the Communist Party, but I don't believe that it's helpful to get into a political game of denouncements.
1: So you can't condemn it?
0: I think my statement was quite clear about how I don't support the Communist Party and I don't support what it does.
1: Well, there's a difference between not supporting something and actively condemning a regime... And then he he goes on a bit, and they're talking about trolls or something. And he's like, have you not read the terrible trolling that I receive? I am astounded that you would ask that question. And sadly, if you're of Italian origin, you'll be asked if you're part of the mafioso. And then an Italian senator, a uh, conchetta fair of anti-wells, says, that's right. And Abetz <laughs> goes on, if you're Vietnamese, you'll be asked if you're part of a triad. If you're German, like myself, you must be a fascist by birth, irrespective of what your public utterances might be. And the list goes on.
0: And now you this are- is fascist by birth literally
1: yeah. well this is I, I've carefully avoided mentioning this aspect of the whole story until the very end because I wanted to get it from the horse's mouth himself but Erica Abetz's granddad was Otto Abetz a huge fucking Nazi and Zach
0: you would actual literal nazi like a, power. a high-ranked member High of the nazi. national
1: socialist party of, of of germany in the 30s and 40s and um erica betts has talked about how his granddad was actually a good guy actually because when the germans lost the invasion of france he didn't destroy all of paris
0: no that was um peter Abetz. Eric oh Abetz, sorry brother oh, yeah. oh sorry my, my dad that that, that that quote is amazing um where yeah he's like yeah you know i mean sure he was a nazi but he kind of wasn't as that bad of a nazi as he could be i mean some french people were actually kind of thankful for what he did uh which is totally cooked but no we shouldn't attribute it that to okay Eric, sure that's who, that's my mistake who has yep. been a little bit more vocal than his brother um who by the way is also a politician right <laughs> Uh, Eric has been a bit more vocal than Peter in, like, condemning his granddad's Nazi past. But also, this entire thing is just him working up to the fact that people roast him for having a Nazi granddad. And, like, that's all this rant is about. And I don't think I so. Just... I
1: think he, has be- he can't even see the irony of being like, <laughs> oh, it's so uh, terrible, people assume I'm a fascist. And then being like, but you don't actually oppose the communist party do you like i don't think he understands that irony whatsoever and if anything i think he feels like his the people accusing him of being a nazi that he thinks is ridiculous gives him license to assume chinese people are all actually xi jinping mm-hmm. in a trench coat so anyway i think that's enough about possible nazi erica betts
0: well i just want to reiterate what i said last time we talked about him which is that it would just be much less suspicious that his granddad was a Nazi if he wasn't himself a huge racist. There's an easy yeah. way out of this.
1: Don't be a huge racist. That's a really good point. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: All right, is it time for our mains this week?
1: Yeah, look, we've done enough talking about ridiculous, embarrassing, incompetent politicians. Let's get some mains. <laughs> I'll just take a big sip of water and let you tell me what the topic is.
0: Don't you want to take a big slice of icing on a cake.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure about that joke, but I think it's what we're going with. So.
0: I Yeah, I mean, I I didn't even... Uh, I forgot that we even t- needed to make up a pun, so um, well done, Noon. I'll take that. Um, okay, so this week's means revolves around Daryl Maguire. Um, I've written in my notes here, a.k.a. Big Dazzy Magazzy. Um, yes. Which I, full disclosure, was four to five beers in when I wrote these notes last night. Um, so we'll see how it goes. There's, there's probably going to be a few of those. Um, why did you write that, Zach? Let um, me no, no, so he's a he's a liberal politician who was uh, a member of the New South Wales State Parliament for 20 years as the local member for Wagga. Um, another uh-huh. drunken interjection from myself last night. Sorry, Wagga Wagga. Um, because you
1: don't call you Wagga don't, Wagga Wagga.
0: No, you don't call Pindy Pindy Pindy. You don't call Gron Gron Gron. You don't call Wagga Wagga Wagga. Calling Wagga 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 is wrong. Yes. Um, Yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, A.K.A. the Australian National Anthem. Um, If you don't know Wagga Wagga, it's west of Canberra. It's about halfway between Sydney and Melbourne. It's on Wiradjuri country. Uh, But okay, so uh, Daryl Maguire, a.k.a. Dazzy, in 2018 was called before ICAC, the Independent Commission Against Corruption. If you don't know, now you know ICAC's job is to investigate and expose corrupt conduct in the New South Wales public sector. We do not have a federal ICAC for those who are playing along at home. Uh, So this ICAC investigation because corruption stops
1: at Canberra's borders, as people always say.
0: (laughs) As we as we know, Uh, ICAC uh, this ICAC investigation was called Operation Dasher. I'm pretty sure Noon has replaced that with uh, Gabagool because. He likes to gabagool post in my notes sometimes, but I'm pretty sure that's Operation Dasher. It and is, this yes. is into <laughs> corruption in uh, Canterbury City Council in Sydney. student observers might notice is not Waka Waka, um, about Canterbury City Council is doing a whole bunch of dodgy development related shit, specifically on Canterbury Road, for anybody who's a local and knows uh, what that means. Right. That's just around the corner from where Noon and I grew up. Um, but so this was not an ICAC investigation into Maguire himself, uh, that inquiry is still ongoing, though, and has been for several years, which is amazing. But Maguire was called in to this uh, to give evidence of this ICAC inquiry and admitted that he had sought payment to broker property deals on behalf of property development companies, uh, notably a, a big Chinese developer, and that's going to be relevant later. Uh, taped phone calls came to light of him saying that he had a client who was, quote, mega big with, quote, mega money. Um... What a fucking nerd. It, he is such, <laughs> such a nerd. This guy I, is such a nerd, which is going to make the rest of this story even funnier.
1: I just thought I'd mention for listeners, I have not been following this closely. So I, I like, you know, I've got the vague recent developments, but I'm hanging on Zach's every word for the the details about this. <laughs> um, this is all, all new to me about Daz- Dazamagazza, but yeah.
0: Yeah, it took me a while to cobble all this together because... Oh, look, I'll get into it later. Um, but so, you know, he he admitted and was heard on tape trying to set up these deals. None of them actually happened, but he was super corrupt useless. in trying to make them happen. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so he resigned from the Liberal Party and then Parliament. In other words, he was told to resign by Premier Gladys Berejiklian. Uh, and so his seat of Wagga had been held by the Liberals for over 60 years. When he resigned, he triggered a by-election, which they then promptly lost to an independent. Amazing. Which is just so fucking hilarious. Love it. Um, but so, the, the shit that was discovered about Maguire that was uncovered by this completely separate ICAC investigation was just so flagrantly corrupt that ICAC opened a special investigation specifically into him and his shit <laughs> called Operation Kepler. Uh, and so this has mostly revolved around his position as the chairman of the New South Wales Parliament Asia-Pacific Friendship Group. Uh, And basically what they've uncovered is that he would frequently travel to China, sometimes taking some of his staff or friends. Uh, All of the expenses were paid for, and the idea being for him to go there and set up business relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, Essentially uh, setting up meetings to give developers access to governments in Australia and getting paid a big cash fee for organising these meetings. He was also involved in uh, this extremely dodgy cash for visa scheme, which basically the the scheme was that uh, Maguire would go and convince local business owners to hire Chinese citizens who wouldn't actually show up for work. Instead, what would happen is the citizen's family would pay a massive chunk of cash to a migration agent. That's in heavy quotation marks who uh, would then pay off Maguire and the businessman with, and this is, Directly from the ICAC thing with envelopes containing tens of thousands of dollars in cash delivered to Maguire at Parliament House.
1: (laughs) Like Great Genius. The most
0: the most fucking textbook cartoon corruption shit you can imagine. These Operation Kepler ICAC hearings have been ongoing for the last little while and the hearings have been happening this week. And I wanted to pull out a couple of choice moments from the hearings because they're just absolutely riddled with gold corruption nuggets. Um, One of my favorite ones, he told his uh, dodgy partner in the cash for visa scheme that all of his devices had been crushed by a tractor, like his phone, his tablet. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I've got a quote here from uh, from ICAC. Uh, Maguire says, I recall I said a tractor ran over it uh, (laughs) when asked about his phones. He then later admitted that it didn't actually happen. He said, quote, I was just being stupid. I don't know why I said it. It is a weird thing to say, but I said it. Then the commissioner kind of suggested that he may have been just kind of trying to send the message to his business partner that like, need she to needed to delete evidence. all of the information about their interactions. And he was like, yeah, that seems probably right. <laughs>
1: That's um, very funny.
0: It, hilarious. You could just
1: say that shit, though, dude. Like, You both know you're corrupt. Just be like, hey... Remember to destroy all evidence of our crimes. Like,
0: oh, that's it's like so much of this is him basically doing an extremely half-assed job at trying to cover up his corruption, which mm. then just becomes even more incriminating when, when, when later down the track. Because there's so, so much of this is on tape as well, which is just this has amazing. some big
1: Wire season two energy somehow. Uh, I, I realize they're politicians, not dock workers, but just like I don't know, yeah. That's, you guys fucked up to
0: get this much heat on you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And also, also admitted-
1: being pulled into the other inquiry uh, and then being like, damn, this dude's fucking corrupt reminds me <laughs> of like buying the stained glass window and him being like Valchek being like, fuck that guy and like
0: Yeah. Let- totally. Let's get him. <laughs> <And then> it-
1: <laughs> anyway.
0: Um, he also admitted to destroying evidence specifically so that it wouldn't get used by ICAC. Uh-huh. Quote, I was determined not to leave any anything for the next incoming member, including the things that the staff argued we should leave. My policy was to destroy the equipment. <laughs> That's about him leaving Damn. his literal, actual, physical member of parliament office. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the, the uh, council assisting ICAC said, you wanted to destroy the material with a view of keeping it away from this commission or anyone else that might investigate your affairs? Do you agree? Partly yes, Mr. Maguire said. Partly yes. Partly yes. Mostly yes. Uh, yes. Uh, um, yes. <laughs>
2: um,
0: one of Maguire's former staffers told ICAC that Maguire got her to copy data from his devices in case they got taken from <laughs> <laughs> off him by ICAC. Which is amazing He told her to put the files on a USB And keep it, quote, in my handbag for safekeeping She later gave him back the USB And then Maguire told ICAC that it got, quote, run over After he dropped it on his farm He told his assistant that there was, quote An unfortunate accident in the paddock That's two times, two separate times That he has claimed that data has been run over by a tractor Man, don't take
1: your sensitive data out with you on the tractor when you're, like, (laughs) back-hoeing your wheat fields, my dude. Just just don't do it.
0: Absolutely incredible shit. But okay, that's sort of your backstory on Uh who Daryl Maguire is, why he matters. Uh, But the big news this week, the hot news that came out on Monday, is that this extremely corrupt dude is New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian's boyfriend. Or was... As of about two months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, or the relationship began in uh, 2016, if you uh, ask ba- Gladys Berejiklian. Yeah. Or, or 2015, potentially much if earlier. you ask. Yes. It, maybe it was 2015, if you ask uh, Daryl Maguire earlier in the week. Or actually, later in the week, maybe it was fair to say 2014. It could be also fair to say 2013. Yes. Um, Somewhere between
1: five and 60 years.
0: Yeah, most uh, like mainstream news outlets are going with 2015, calling this a five-year relationship, which like basically it's at least a five-year relationship. Yeah, yeah. But so to be totally accurate, they had what is called a quote close personal relationship, uh-huh. which is the description that ICAC is using, and actually has like a legal definition. Sure. You know, they're not saying that they were spouses. They was the you know they weren't in a permanent, financially entwined relationship.
1: Okay, sure, sure close personal relationship is like sleeping together or whatever
0: well yeah and there are you know personal details that we probably don't really need to get into but Gladys Berejiklian has described the relationship as close and personal but Mm -hmm. she didn't tell any of her family or friends about it and uh, when asked by RK why that was she said it was not of quote sufficient status which is um a pretty harsh burn
1: I mean if you look at this dude I wouldn't be telling people I was sleeping with him either. Quite aside from the corruption, <laughs>
0: um, I don't know what he's like to date, you know. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to make conjecture about that. Maybe he fucks, but um, he could very well fuck. Um, but the relationship, yeah, it was basically totally secret. Um, if I was an ABC reporter, I'd probably be using words like bombshell and explosive revelations or Miss Barry G. Clean's evidence was like a big machine gun shooting big bullets of doubt in her reputation. Um, it's
1: a real shame. You're not an ABC journalist, Zach.
0: <laughs> I <feel laughs> like you don't write
1: it. all of your notes after
0: half a dozen beers. Yeah. My notes get, uh, increasingly incoherent, uh, as they go along. So hopefully I'll be able to continue to make this make some degree of sense. But, um, Right. So, I mean, at this point, the obvious question then becomes, how much did Gladys know about sure. Maguire's dodgy property dealings and was she involved in any way? And so far the answer seems to be, as far as I can tell, she pretty much knew that he was doing a whole bunch of shit, but very deliberately avoided learning anything specific about it. Uh-huh. Um, uh, which according to the Australian media equals no corruption. So there are recorded phone calls of Maguire referring to property development deals that he was making and her essentially being like um, (laughs) Lenny and the Stonecutters episode of Mm -hmm. uh, The Simpsons whenever Carl's like, it's a secret. It's
1: like, like, shut shut up.
0: up. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Specifically, he told her about a deal at Badgery's Creek at Badgeries Creek, where a second Sydney airport is slated to be built, Mm. um, which is just fucking grubby developer catnip. Yeah, it's true. Like, new airport, oh my goodness, I've got to get in there. And the AFP has actually launched, have just launched an investigation into a separate property deal there about uh, Badgeries Creek. It's just too good for developers to to, to refuse. It's fucking, it's catnip, I'm telling you. Um, But the phone call in question went like this. Maguire said, the good news is, William William tells me we've done our deal. So hopefully that's about half of all that gone now. Gladys says, that's good. I do not need to know about that bit. Maguire says, no, you do not need to know about that. There's been Um, a lot of
1: speculation that this sounded like a pre-agreed thing that they discussed. And that she's like, this is one of those things that I don't need to know about, remember. And he's like, oh, yeah, one of those things. That you yeah. don't need to know about.
0: That's 100% how it reads to me, for sure. Um, they uh, they also, like, texted repeatedly about his business deals, going back as far as 2014. Maguire texting, Hawkers, good news. One of my contacts sold a motel for $5.8 million. I had put her in contact, so I should make 5 k Man, Clibus, that is it. A- um, and then Gladys texted back, congrats. Great news. Woohoo! <laughs> Which There's something so fucking... Um, Go on, sorry.
1: I, I was just going to say, that is a shit cut. 5K out of 6 million? The fuck, dude? No <laughs> I mean, wonder you in he, so much he's trouble. He's terrible
0: at being corrupt. Yeah, yeah. evidently. <laughs> um, and uh, in the background of all of this, like this dude is in a huge amount of debt, like 1.5 million, right, right. I think. I do think that um, is an so, important
1: background to the whole thing, is that like that's why he was... Doing all of this. Doing a whole
0: bunch of corrupt shit. Yeah. yeah. There's definitely motivation for this. Um, and there's later texts um, from the Badgeries, uh, regarding the Badgeries Creek deal. He said, Also, good news, we clinched the land deal for my friends. And then an- <laughs> that, like, emoji with the tongue sticking out. <laughs> I should be in the back of the black soon. God. And there's, oh, there's something what so, like... M- I, read the- I was reading these-, these text messages and just, I don't know, something inside me crumpled on behalf of both of these people. Like, yeah,
1: well, like... For Gladys, I know a lot of people, including many of my exes, who have dated shit dudes. Um, That was a self-burn, by the way. I'm not being judgmental about their taste. Um, uh, But, like, (laughs) can you imagine being, like, possibly the most powerful woman in the country, and this is the schlub that you date, and all of your relationship is based around him trying to be like, oh, I'm nearly not in millions of dollars of debt yet, babe. And you're like, oh, good job, babe like come on Gladys I mean, get a better squeeze
0: well and I mean look we'll get into it so this stuff was happening while Maguire was an MP and, and Gladys Berejiklian worked her way up the chain from minister to treasurer and then becoming premier in 2017 sure. um after Mike Baird resigned because of uh, corruption stuff but um uh one of the more direct things that happened was that mcguire admitted to organizing a meeting between berejiklin and a property developer friend of mcguire's guy called joseph alha where he basically like arranged for him to like pop into gladys's office at parliament house and under questioning um admitted that uh he'd done it while he was pretty drunk and i was just reading that like oh geez i mean this dude is just a fucking mess he's in he owes he money all over town He's, like, hanging out with a developer friend, had a couple beers, and the friend's like, can I go hang out with Gladys? And he's like, sure, yeah. You know, Gladys and I go, way back. We'll just pop in. It's like, oh, bro, please stop fucking putting your foot in it. If you think this shit is a mess already, ICAC accidentally <laughs> fucking released suppressed evidence oh, from shit. the trials. And specifically, it was Maguire's evidence about the nature of his relationship with Gladys Berejiklian. So it had some pretty personal shit in it. Yeah, ICAC that's, why, ex- it was, that's why it was accidentally released that transcript. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, ICAC then uh, issued an apology to both of them the next day. Um, But the the hearings uh, concluded uh, on Friday. And I just want to read this uh, uh, exchange that was recorded in The Guardian, which happened at the end of the day. They say, Robertson comes to the pointy end. He asked Maguire whether between 2012 and 18, quote, on more than one occasion you improperly used your parliamentary resources and your position in parliament to gain benefit for yourself and people close to you. Maguire, I agree. Robertson asked Maguire if he also agrees that he, quote, breached the public trust placed in you as a member of parliament, parliamentary secretary, and as the the chair of the parliamentary friendship group for the Asia-Pacific. Maguire, I agree. And that's the end of the evidence, I mean that's pretty sort of cut and dried there he's this guy yeah. has been completely wrung out um but so it makes I mean, sense
1: that someone who's so bad at being corrupt is also very bad at avoiding getting in trouble for that corruption well
0: that that's exactly it um you know, and like it's only the like. It's for the most part only the absolute chumps who actually get caught out doing mm. this stuff. He because was flagrant so much much about it
1: in Parliament. Well, that's it. If you want, yeah, it's,
0: it's, it's... It, totally. And you know, he was there. He was, it, it, you know, the member for Wagga for twenty years before Trump. this shit came out. Mm, mm. Um, but you know, Maguire is not ultimately the interesting sort of political element of this story. It's about Berejiklian. and yeah. she has said that she won't resign. There hasn't been any public pressure from within the Liberal Party yet. Uh, The leader of New South Wales Labor, Jodie McKay, has fairly predictably called for her to resign, as you can imagine.
1: Yeah, it's been fun listening to, like, clips of Question Time and shit and hearing Jodie McKay being, like, you know, saying all these really harsh accusations about, like, oh, you're, you're involved in corruption and you can't be responsible, but you can just hear this, like, enormous grin plastered over her face. She's like... Yay! Corruption! You're so corrupt. i just just like fucking hype about it. It's yeah, um,
0: which extremely dangerous game for a member of the New South Wales Labor Party to be playing. That's a great point. Yes. Um, that's like like, corruption as a tool for affecting political change from within the system is totally ineffective because everybody is fucking corrupt. You can't weaponize it effectively against your opponent because next week the scandal that you're involved in is going to come out. Mm. But, you know, the thing about Berejiklian is she's seen as, she, or up until this point, she was basically seen as squeaky clean. That's something people have been was, talking
1: about a lot is like, oh, I, I'm sure Gladys didn't know about this stuff or, and that she really didn't know because she's so ethical and, and responsible. And it's like...
0: Yeah, this is wait. so out of character for her. W- what are you talking um,
1: about? Like, <laughs> Which is...
0: You mean you haven't say.
1: heard about any of it up until now? And they're like, she's a very private person. It's like, okay, so you admit yeah. you know nothing about whether or not she does crimes.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's been extremely secretive about it. Um, but, you know, I mean, the media has in large part swung in behind her as well. Sure. A couple of he- sample headlines I thought that just give you the taste. From the Australian, quote, Embarrassment is surely punishment enough for Gladys Berejiklian from the Queensland Times, why Gladys Berejiklian must hold firm for, ne- for now. And from uh, Michelle Grattan, unfortunately, Gladys Berejiklian has governed well but failed an ethical test. Uh-huh. Um, In stark comparison to the way that the media, Mm. especially the Murdoch media, has been covering Andrew's leadership, and I just have this headline from a different Australian article I thought summed it up really well, which is uh, titled, A Tale of Two Crises, One Sad and One Sickening. The the subheader being, The New South Wales turmoil is as nothing compared with the Machiavellian cover-ups in Victoria. Um, Mm -hmm. which pretty much gives you the general flavour of the the coverage around this. Um, But Noon, also you pointed out uh, that Emma Alberici, formerly of the ABC, and now of um, Compare the Meerkat, um, (laughs) was tweeting about this earlier today.
1: Yeah, and so she said this, There has still been no evidence produced that Gladys B acted corruptly. It's entirely open to believe she was duped by a guy who broke her heart and turned out to be a horrible liar in for the bargain.
0: Uh, I think that this is just extremely flimsy analysis. Yes. The entire framing of this whole affair as like, a bit of an embarrassing failure of judgment on, for Gladys in her personal life, um, is total redirection from what this is actually about. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in terms of what you're talking about earlier, and there has been plenty of, uh, commentary being like oh she was punching so far below her weight oh we've all had a loser boyfriend who's dragged mm, us down mm. before bro that is not what this is about that yep. is not what this story is i she... have made a
1: number of jokes about that because it's true but you're right it's really not what the problem in this whole situation is and like this no, is interesting for people's in...
0: entire political analysis to rest on that is so lazy and is just them running interference for the fact that she it's very it's like not explicit enough for ICAC to be able to like put her on the Get stand her. for it specifically but it's pretty clear from the evidence that she knew that her boyfriend was doing dodgy stuff and was trying to not be implicated in it
1: yeah there's also the other much grosser thing of like people talking about what she looks like and so on which is also fucked but yeah i i think um i don't know the australian media is much better than for example the american or british media as far as letting politicians have sex lives. Um, and, like, we really have a much less extreme culture of, like, tabloid sex-based journalism, at least as far as our political class goes. And I think that's mostly good. But then it leads to situations like this, where the these people who have, like, these strong, like, connection to journalistic integrity or whatever are like, we're not allowed to, to actually be critical of Gladys about this because it's too close to like gossip columnism or whatever mm. but that's not actually what the problem is. when you need her uh, yeah that's right but like yeah as you say that completely avoids looking at what the actual problem is
0: i don't give a fuck about who gladys baradillo dates that is not what the story is here the story is mm. that she had a close personal relationship with a flagrantly corrupt politician and who claims was using to her no- to
1: do his corruption well, he definitely to, try
0: right. definitely was trying to get her involved in his corruption, and maybe she, uh, re- maybe she refused. But she- I think it's extremely hard to believe that she didn't know what was going on. Um, and, but look, you know whether this whether this is grounds for resignation or not. You know what my opinion on this is. I don't give a fuck. They're all pieces of shit and mm-hmm. all to some point sullied by this stuff. If you're part of either of the two major parties, and likely any of the other major parties as well. You've been touched by this shit, yeah. and if we, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily product, productive, as I've said, to try and use corruption as a tool for political progress because mm. the entire system is fucking corrupt. Mm. You can't, you know, you, you get Gladys Berejiklian to step down. Who steps up? Nobody's, gonna, nobody clean is going to take that position. Or and also, you vote them out and put Labor in. As I've said, New South Wales Labor should not be flinging stones from inside their fucking glass corruption house. That was. A bad metaphor but you got you get the picture
1: yeah and, and i think it even runs deeper than that as well is that like even when politicians are doing things that aren't officially corrupt what they're actually doing is still
0: super fucked still yes. super fucked
1: like i mean even if you just look at the budget last week and we talked about how it's a means for redistributing wealth from the poor to the wealthy and like scott morrison is making bank off that his best friend is making bank off that his wife yep. is making bank off it it's not Quote unquote corruption because it's legal and that's what bourgeois parliaments are supposed to do. But like.
0: Boom. No, I think you've made. I think you've summed it up really nicely. That's an excellent point. The stuff that they are actually like the mechanism of the state allows them to do is far more heinous than a couple of dodgy property deals. I'm not saying there shouldn't be any consequences. Sure, sure, of course. But I'm saying that we have an entire system that is completely fucked from the get go and it seems weird to pick around the edges. But also it's fun and entertaining to talk about it. So that's that's why we've spent the last half hour, uh, banging on about it. Look, and I'll just wrap this all up by saying that, uh, It looks at this stage like Berejiklian is going nowhere. Up until this point, like I said, she's been relatively clean. She's seen as uh, having steered New South Wales through the corona crisis and the bushfires, and so she's got this kind of political capital to burn, at least if you listen to the mainstream political commentators. Um, And she's got the support of the prime minister. I thought we could finish off with a little uh, exchange here that he had with uh, very, very cool, nice person, Ben Fordham, on uh, cool, nice radio station 2GB. Fordham, uh, in one of his multiple and frequent displays of objective journalism, opened the interview by saying, thank you very much for joining us. I reckon the mob has spoken here everywhere I've gone in the last 24 hours. People are saying there's no way in the world we can afford to lose our premier in New South Wales. Scott Morrison says, well, they're right about that. <laughs> uh, so, and it, then he goes on to say, oh, it'd be a numpty of a decision to replace her. Terrible fucking phrase. Yep. And then, uh, to go, goes on to say, people have all made personal decisions. I'm sure they regret that's human. And there you go. That's exactly what we we're talking about before. That this framing of this exactly. as a personal life failure or stumbling bit of a personal embarrassment or even like a gossip issue.
1: event. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
0: No, it's corruption up and down. Anyway, um, I'm sure we can all look forward to an extremely balanced and non-racist and non-misogynist video on this from Friendly Geordies uh, sometime in the next few days. Um, Cool. I reckon that probably does it for the news this week, Noon.
1: Hell yeah, Uh, which is good because we're miles over time. Uh, So why don't we just quickly uh, smash out this review that we got. It's a really, really lovely one from Dragon, who's um, in posting. This was a recommendation- uh, of Ozpol Snackpod on our Facebook page. And Dragon said this. This is unironically a highlight of my week. I thank these wonderful folks for taking the bullet and immersing themselves in the scream-filled hell swamp that is the Australian political and media landscape, so I don't have to. The fact that they can do so and still come up with incisive and witty analysis and food-based puns, all heralded by catchy stings, brings me joy and hope. Snack on, snack strong. Thanks, Dragon. That's lovely. That's
0: extremely sweet. And... I will say that putting the notes together for that Gladys Berejiklian story last night, after I'd finished a day of full-time work, I was, it was like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night, I was five beers in, and I'm, you know, I have a good time writing these notes. I'm mm. not, you know, I'm not saying I, I'm doing all this stuff and it's like, oh, the sweat off my brow for you people. But the effort goes in. Yeah. It does. And then I have to ungarble the mess that I've written the next morning, hungover with Noon, uh, which is a great time. And that's why we all love doing this show. Um, But all I'm saying is that if you appreciate what we do, please support us in any way you can. Giving us a review like Dragon did or hopping over onto Apple Podcasts is a great place to uh, rate and review us as well. Um, and if you really enjoy what we do and you want to support us financially, you can hop over to Patreon, where you can support us for as little as one US dollar a month, which gets you a monthly bonus episode. We've this got the exciting episode uh, is coming up this week.
1: Oh well, 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 this week we've got a bonus episode about a film that was suggested by one of our listeners uh, called Southland Tales, um, which we're going to discuss. Yeah, and, and that should be out this week sometime. Uh, and then next next month's episode will be, uh, yeah, me explaining to Zach why Stuart Roberts is a terrible Christian.
0: <laughs> uh, it's going to be hilarious. Um, and, yeah, uh, otherwise just, you know, follow us on the socials and, and tell your friends. Um, but uh, before we get out of here, why don't we tell you a little bit about how our dogs are going? Now it's time for our well, well, not exactly. I thought this week, yeah. rather than sort of updating on how they're doing, we could um, talk about all of the names that we use for our dogs that aren't their name. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I've, I've definitely got a a wide variety of names that I call bagel. Um, and it, it, I was thinking about, you know, those, um, memes that are like first letter of your first name, this phrase, and then second (laughs) letter of your second name whatever. And then you'd like go through and you get like the title of your, um, (laughs) <laughs> like pretentious phd or whatever um yeah but yeah so with bagel is i've got a whole lot of different like bits of words that i smoosh together in random orders so like you know uh normally the the first one is like snuffle or snoot or shriek mm-hmm. and then you yep. get boy then so snooter boy shriek boy also butt mm-hmm. yep. snuffle butt shriek a butt snuffle butt yeah uh snuffle butt boy um mr snoots uh borkle <laughs> uh obviously it's bagel but uh because of um community and brita bagel is when he's being ridiculous or silly um <laughs> mr Borks and stuff uh yeah
0: it, 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 nothing, the list goes on.
1: it's 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 endless yeah
0: they're probably a li- little bit more inventive most most of mine are just uh deliberate mispronunciations of dante mm. um mm-hmm. he yeah he gets denty a lot um dumpy but, uh, yeah, well, and Dumpy is my favorite one because that actually does have a backstory, which is right. that um, uh, a couple of years ago uh, when we'd uh, only, only had him for a little while, Holly and I went away for a weekend and we had a family come and house it for us to look after Dante because um, they needed somewhere to stay while they were in Melbourne. And they had a uh, this kid, I think she was about three years old maybe. And basically she came in and saw Dante – and just started like screaming in a combination of excitement and fear. Um, and we were like, yeah, we were like leaving. And we were like, geez, is this going to work out? Like, yeah, yeah. Know, is Dante going to you know, eat the small big, child? Yeah, he's a big boy. And um, we were on the road uh, just having left about an hour and a half later. And we got a, 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 a picture from the mum. It sent us this photo of the three-year-old kid and Dante curled up together in a circle on the couch. Too cute. Um, And saying that um, she wouldn't stop yelling, Dumpy, (laughs) because she couldn't pronounce Dante. Um, And he, Dumpy has been one of his main nicknames ever Mm -hmm, since. mm -hmm. Yeah. um, Big Dumpy, Big Dumps, uh, Denty, and the smallest Denty also, because Mm -hmm. he often likes to curl himself into a tiny little ball and look up at you with his face like, I'm just only so small.
1: It's funny how, yeah, both of our dogs fluctuate wildly in size. Like mm. sometimes yeah, Bagel it's amazing. fits perfectly on my lap. And then other times he's like uh the size of a horse with fangs that go <laughs> like foot long fangs, you know? Uh, it just yeah, really tell depends on. It. it's like that um in The Simpsons with uh, what's his Scampi? The the uh lobster. And he's like, Oh pinchy, pinchy, <laughs> and he's like, Oh, look at him, and it's like little cute lobster thing, and he turns around to Marge and He's like, How can you hate this cute little thing? And he's like <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I'm sure that translated excellent to audio.
0: Yeah, absolutely. As all of our jokes do. All right,
1: um, Let, let's finish up.
0: Let's co- let's co- let's call it there. Thank you very much for tuning everybody, uh, tuning in everybody, and make sure you keep on snacking in the free world.
1: Snack on, snack strong.